Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game. This is the PBP. So glad to have you. I am Matt Spiegel. My day job is afternoons at 670 The Score in Chicago. You'll actually hear my talk radio origin story in this episode because our guest, the great Dave Sims of the Seattle Mariners, was a talk show host, too, at WFAN in New York in the 80s and the 90s. Dave Sims is an amazing guy, a great broadcaster. I'm so glad that the Mariners' playoff run and their relevance the last couple seasons has brought some national light to him as a local baseball guy. I'm sure a lot of you, though, know him from his NFL work with Westwood One and a lot of other things. We get into all of it. Um, I love this conversation. But I wanted to tell you about the roots of my play-by-play obsession while I have a minute here. Um, Picture me, Spiegel, four years old, playing with matchbox cars on the basement floor of our suburban New Jersey home. My big brother, Bobby, has an AM-FM radio up high on a shelf is silver antenna fully extended out a little half-sized storm window just above ground level. And through a crackle and a hum comes a Red Sox game. It's 1975 or 76. On the wall in my brother's room, he's got painted a rough version of Fenway Park, and he's got the whole diamond laid out. He has taped bits of construction paper at all the defensive positions, fashioning slots into which he puts the baseball cards for players on the Red Sox defense. There are slots for base runners as well, and if he has those baseball cards for the opposing teams, they get put in and moved around the field as the game goes on. So... I'm trying to follow the chaos of this ball game in the wall, but most of the time I'm drifting off into space and I hear a station ID. You are listening to 1080 WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut and the Boston Red Sox radio network. Then it's back to the broadcasters who carry us from pitch to pitch, inning to inning, game to game. And that voice became the first thing I ever wanted to be. I wanted to be the person bringing baseball to life, probably for my older brothers, if you want to get therapeutic about it, which we can do. And I still do. So if there's anybody out there listening for the first time, the PBP is a podcast about play-by-play. I've done 12 innings in my life. It's a long story. Listen to episode one. I became fascinated with a job and the craft, and here we are kind of doing a love letter to the craft of play-by-play, making a teaching tool, and hopefully acting as a vessel for meaningful baseball-adjacent conversation. All right, one other thing before we get to Dave Sims. We all have people in the business that helped enable us and catapult us towards a future that we can't imagine. Just wait until you hear who helped Dave Sims kick a door down, in his words, and get a big-time college football job. All right, so when I had the idea to do this podcast and talk to as many baseball play-by-play folks as possible... One of the early targets was Dave Sims. And I'll tell you why, Dave Sims. Um, 
because as a radio talk show host myself who dreamed of doing the gig, I remember you as a radio talk show host and now you do the gig. So it's like, uh, it, it, it's, it, I feel a little bit like kindred spirits, though you're um, an idol uh, at the same time. So thanks well, for saying that. Yes. Very kind of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, um, I remember a guy told me, uh, the late, great Mike Cohen, who was a wonderful, unbelievable people connector, uh, PR guy for NBC Sports prior to that Manhattan College. And I remember he, Simberg, if you're going to be, if you're going to do play by play, doing, uh, the talk show is as good or better training than anything because you got to think on your feet. It's live. And when I was doing WNBC, good God, we were doing, if there were no games on that night, I was on 7.30 to midnight. With the able help of Mike Brain and Dom uh, Trignali and all, you know, they did an unbelievable job booking people and making them feel at home if they came in the studio. But, I mean, largely it was me talking for four and a half hours. It's like, Yo, <laughs> <laughs> you learn to think on your feet. Did you say Simberg? Did he make you? That's what he called me. Yeah, you know the Mike Cohen. Yeah, I'm married to a nice Jewish girl, and so he called me Simberg. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like a probably good way to get in the business, especially. It, it didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> didn't hurt. Um, let me let me go through a couple of. You tell me. I think you've done all of these gigs, uh, Dave Sims, sports writer for the New York Daily News. Obviously, were you a baseball beat guy at any point? Mainly, uh, briefly, I did get a baseball card for a year or two. Most of my stuff was college, uh, college football, basketball, baseball. Went to uh, the College World Series with St. John's twice. Uh, college football, baseball, basketball. Backup, uh, a number two writer, beat writer in the Cosmos, during the Pelé, Canalia, Beckenbauer years. Wow. So who was on those St. John's teams? That's not Frank Viola, John Franco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Frank uh, Frank mowed down Tito in Arizona, game one of the 80 World Series. And then Tito went on to win uh, Most Outstanding Player. And uh, at, at the first year in 78, I forget who started, might have been Frank. But Bob Horner, Hubie Brooks, and Arizona State smoked him in the first game. I mean, Come on. who are these dudes? <laughs> and I remember getting off the plane in Omaha, and SC was coming in right behind us, and Coach Dato, who was an absolute – I mean, it's a shame he never got more national publicity. I mean, you talk about an outgoing, vivacious, you know, extrovert. And he had a big right-hander on his staff, and we see this big guy coming down the escalator. It was Anthony Munoz. <laughs> he was, he was a, you know, probably a, a blowout, you know, pitcher – up, up 10, down 10, put him in the game. I'll never forget that. It's like, who the hell? Oh, it's Anthony Munoz. Oh, and there you yeah, go. only have a couple of Hall of Fames now. So, that, that, that Hall of Fame tackle is a long reliever. I love it. Um, radio talk show host, which is when I knew you with Ed Coleman doing middays on the fan. Um, was was there TV hosting going on in New York as well? Uh, let's see. Uh, beef, yeah, uh, sort of, because... Um, let's see, summer 86 to about uh, through the end of my turn uh, until NBC went off the air, WNBC went off the air. We simulcast once a week on MSG Network, which was gotcha. great. It was gotcha. unbelievable. I uh, bet. I bet. Uh, um, we had Maze, we had Mantle on, and I've never uh, you know, saw grown men cry at the mirror mention of their name, let alone when they walked into the room. It was wild. And then uh, and then I did Anchor in your Channel 2 and Channel 4, the CBS flagship and the uh, NBC flagship filled in for Marv and uh, Len and Sal. And then uh, I was the number two guy to Bernie Smilovitz for three years and change. Yeah, three years. 
Got you. Wow. Yeah. So th- that's that's some of the sports casting heroes of my youth. I was a kid in Jersey and let's oh, go. there you go. I mean, let's go to the videotape and Warner. Yeah, Warner. Yeah, I've made yeah. a I'm never filling in for Warner at 92 a couple three times and then 95 they brought me over full time. Yeah, that was you know, right. I think gone back to DC. I mean, that's that that's some of the formative stuff. And then um Temple Owls, was it football or basketball? It was football. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was football. And that was, uh, you want to talk about kicking a door down. Um, I was at FAN at the time. And when did we start that gig? We started that gig, uh, the 90 football season, okay? Mm-hmm. And the Cosby show was number reigning supreme. It was done in the same building in Astoria, Queens, where FAN was. My brother-in-law worked there. Bill Cosby's right-hand guy was a big fan. He says, hey, uh, you know, I like this guy that's on uh, in the morning. He said, that's my brother. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm come down. I, met, I meet Frank. He said, you want to meet Bill? I said, oh, hell yeah. Long story short, meet Bill. I said, I hear uh, a Temple radio job could be open. I'd really be interested. I really want to do that. And that was like a Thursday or Friday and a Monday. I get a call. Oh, Dave, this is Dr. Peter, of course, president of uh, Temple University. Mr. Cosby speaks very highly of you. We'd like to welcome you to the Temple family. <laughs> So, and then, and then from, so I did that in 1990, the football season, 19, and they had a surprise, a stunningly surprising year at seven and four. Bruce Arians had just left. He left a pretty decent team, tough schedule. They go seven and four. And then February of 91, I'm on ESPN. And that's how that whole TV thing started. Unbelievable. So, yeah. yeah, So so it's been like the the career path has been. Yeah. As a guy doing TV as a young man in New York with with Mantle and Willie Mays. um, I mentioned this to you the other day. Your cover photo on Twitter is you and Earl the Pearl Monroe and Clyde Frazier and Arthur Ashe. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. and, and and I know baseball happens, I believe, in 2006, 2007 with the Mariners. I'm wondering how early, like being a daily baseball guy, it's such a different thing doing 162 and being in people's uh, homes and, and in their, their hearts and their ears and their minds for that long. Like, was that, how early was that in your head as the thing you wanted to be? Or oh, I knew that back when I was in high school. I- I knew I wanted to do baseball in high school, and I got a taste of it when I was at MSG Network. I did uh, I did a couple of uh, St. John's games. Say, uh, it was the year before, I think, MSG Network got the Yankees. They knew they were getting the Yankees in 89, 88. I did some St. John's games. And then I told you about that ES- transitioning into ESPN at 91. Yeah. Um, what was it? It was 90. Yeah, it was 92. I got baseball. Pretty sure 92 is here. And I did that. I worked a lot with Larry Sorensen and uh, uh, Freddie Lynn, Jerry Royce, mm-hmm. Mike Lansing, uh, to names that come off the top. So I had, once I got that taste of baseball, like 92, 93, remember the last game I did for ESPN on baseball in the 94 season was the night the strike was declared. And I was working with Jim Cott, Braves uh, at the Mets, Sid Fernandez uh, pitched Glavin. I think it was Glavin. And the Mets won that game. I got to work with Kitty, who was an absolute gem. Wow. And, and then I did a couple of years. They asked me back to do uh, did some games, I think, in 04, 05, or 05, 06, something like that. Amazing. So now, so, And now you've been with the Mariners, Dave. I want to get current because on, on this pod, I want to talk about how you do the gig and, and what you feel yeah, about the yeah, gig. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the great moments in the past few years – 
is, I mean, obviously you had the Mariners with a walk-off and Cal Raleigh making the playoffs, but I right. think, it, I think of the Mitch Hanniger two run single and the video of you that went viral. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful moment to see you just kind of locked in. Just need a base hit. You got JP's going to be flying from second. You got the bases loaded. Bowers well fouled down the third baseline. Biggest pitch of the year here for the Mariners. Three and two, bases loaded. Seashack, the pitch. Base hit left field. Here comes JP. Bowers scores. JP scores. Mitch Honiger. What a night. What a night. That video, I must have watched it a dozen times. It's so inspiring to see you just kind of feeling the moment. I, I don't think you look down for a, for a second. You just you know everything that's there. When I say down, I mean your desk. Just, I, I mean that that's it. It looks like it reads like a lifetime of work that lets you be that yeah. comfortable and that passionate in the yeah. moment. And I yeah, that, felt that way to you. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of those things, you know, from being you know, playing one-on-one -on -one stick ball with somebody and now you're, 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 you're broadcasting the game as you're pitching or as you're hitting. And I've listened to enough. I think the fact that um, my training as a newspaper writer was invaluable uh, in terms of, you know, you know, what's, what's your lead, you know? <laughs> and then, and where do you, you know, you got to write, I'm working for an AM paper. You got to write a bulletin lead before you go out and go back to the clubhouse and talk to people. And it was it was so incredibly dramatic, and you live for those moments, and you hear players talk about it all the time. Well, somebody who wants to be a broadcaster thinks about it too. But you know, yet at the same time, I'm not rehearsing like I'm doing like I'm doing uh, you know Julius Caesar or something. You want to have the the facts. You know the facts. You see what's happening in front of you, and you just describe it. And that was such an in the moment thing, both years because the you know the getting close and failing or whatever, or not even having a chance. We, you know, we've had seasons where it's been over by Mother's Day. So um, to have that moment was was one of the all-time great things that ever happened to me in my career, no question about it. And, and then the Cal thing to get us into the tournament. Oh, my God, get us into the playoffs. Wow. What a lot of anxious folks out here at the ballpark. 3-2 to Cal. The pitch from Acevedo. As as you talk about the Hanniger moment, I keep I always I think about clutch. Like you know the, the debate over whether people are clutch or not. It's like what is clutch is just being the best version of yourself, no matter how big the moment gets. It's true for broadcasters too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you want uh, Pat Hughes was on with us in a pregame and radio uh, radio yesterday. I did radio for the Cubs series. And he was saying, you know, when, when the Cubs won the World Series, he says his main thing was he was sort of scared to death. I get it, especially for that situation. That's different from the two situations you just talked about for me. But yeah, 
nobody was alive. Nobody alive in 2008, 1908 is still alive in 2016. And you want to make sure you absolutely nail it. And I thought he did. He said, he said he was happy with it. He didn't, he didn't blow. He, he wasn't like over the top with it, but he was very happy with it. I, I got the feeling he, his greatest sense was that he didn't embarrass himself, which can happen. And, and somebody asked me that the other day, you know, the, the, the Cal. And, and as I go around baseball now, after the Cal clincher, you know, David Ross was asking me about it. First thing he said, he came out and I didn't even get the chance to say hello. Hey, oh, I got a little bit fall I said, I didn't, and he said, asked me something about, did you plan that? Did you rehearse it? No, I said, that's all organic, man. You know, having the fundamentals, having the basics, and just, and as uh, Marty, the great Marty Brenneman, I said, hey, man, call what you see. Marty Glickman said the same thing, call what you see. That That's where I was going next, Dave Sims. That's so funny you just said that. I heard you call yourself a Marty Glickman disciple and a Marty oh, God, Brenneman yes. and a yes, Marty Brenneman disciple. Now I can't get Marty Glickman. I, I've tried and I just can't, I can't track him down, but Marty Brenneman's going to be on this show. Uh, very oh, good. Soon, and I'm looking forward to that. So t- tell me what you got. Tell me why Marty Brenneman comes to mind for you. Well, as- first of all, the guy, he, he's just an absolute pisser. We met covering the uh, final four. I think we did three years, final four. Atlanta, Indian, Minneapolis. I was the gym host, like my work, brought me in as the courtside host while he had Brad Sham, sort of like the studio host. And then doing the game was was Marty. He did like the, the first semifinal. Uh, it was Marty, Raff, we had John Rooney, and those guys switched off. Anyway, we just hit it off. And I asked him about it. I remember I, I, trying to, at that point, had you know, dribs and drabs of baseball, and we just talked about the game and, and talked about, you know, certain techniques and whatnot. But what do you do in certain situations? And he was just funny and fun and direct. And I remember, you know, and it would, it would just, if a guy hits a home run, describe it. You don't need some catchphrase or something. I said, all right, fair enough. I've, you know, morphed into a couple of things that I do say that go back to my childhood. But it was just just the fun being around him and listening to his stories, his history, the people that he'd been around, the moments that he'd had. And and just yeah, he said, hey, the biggest thing, just be honest, man. If they stink, they stink. If they're great, they're great. That I mean, there's so much good stuff in there. Be honest about what you're seeing. I think there's a lot of broadcasters who are afraid to do that, whether it's a perceived pressure from corporate or whether it is an idea that that the fans only want the rose color, but that's not true, right? They want to feel like you are representing them with an right. opportunity to discuss what you're seeing. Yeah, I, I love when, you know, the, the fans, especially when I first got here, you know, first of all, you know, I got here, Dave Niehaus was very much alive and a Hall of Fame broadcaster, a good guy, and, you know, it's the voice of it, this region for so many years. So then I'm coming in as an East Coast guy, a black guy, Name is Dave. So they're like, <laughs> and it was interesting, you know, and, and having done national broadcasts, I would get excited for our home runs and the other team's home runs. Now, I did, that was one correction I did make. I did say, yeah, you may have to back that off a little bit. With, you know, Mike Trapp goes, well, there's certain home runs you just, I don't care who hits them, you're going to go nuts. But as a rule, I know what I was doing ESPN. Yeah, you're playing right down the middle. You have the same level of excitement and verb in your voice. Yet I back it off uh, for more often than not. And I, I, a lot of times I just say, that's trouble. Long drive, left field, and there it goes, 2 nothing. you know, Cincinnati or whatever. 
it makes all the sense in the world though because like because you've done so much national you're watching greatness you see yeah. greatness you're gonna talk about it yes right? and you know somebody somebody was on me the other day about Shohei Otani I said dude nobody has ever done <laughs> currently what this dude is doing he is a super elite pitcher and a super elite hitter yeah, do I, yeah. Do I want to beat him? Yeah, but I'm I marvel at how great he is, and isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, I appreciate and acknowledge greatness in any realm, and I'm doing it in mine. Yes, I, I've talked about this a lot with with Joe Buck on on and off the air because when it gets national and he doesn't do it anymore, it's now Joe Davis's problem, right? Like when it becomes yeah. national after you follow your team for Buck 62, and then you're watching mm -hmm. these guys celebrating greatness. People, the thing I told Buck, I remember when people thought that he wanted to marry both Kyle Schwarber and Clayton Kershaw, right? Like uh, Dodger fans and Cub fans at the same time. So what what what, what are you supposed to do? You, you've probably felt that on the national level. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, when Mike, Mike Trout's going to the Hall of Fame, We've become friendly. Yeah, I mean, his numbers, his greatest numbers are road numbers at our place. You know, I always shoot the breeze with him when I, you know, when we play them. I don't hold any grudge. And I'm in my 17th year now. So now I've reached that point, you know, you get to a certain age, it's like, hey, I'm doing what I'm going to do. It's working. They keep paying me. Hey, I'm a, this, is, this is who I am. Yeah. I, mean, I like it, just don't listen. It, it, so is that is that the best player you've you've watched with some consistency being having him oh, in that he's division? He's right there. I mean, wow. I mean, I, it's over there have been so many good players in the last seventeen years. Travis stands out to me because we've become friendlies from the Philly areas and Eagles fan like I am. So yes. that sort of puts him at a different level. We're always doing the fat yeah. and Mark Gubazov from the from their broadcast the TV broadcast team. And we're friends and we played in the same league 10, 15 years apart. But uh, Otani right now, I mean, Trout's right there, and, and I get Otani a smidge ahead of him. I mean, Otani's just ridiculous. Throws yeah. on 103, hits at 120. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, somebody gave me the stat the other day. My producer of the baseball show I do here on Sunday mornings, that last year he had the most barrels as a batter, hit it off the barrel the most as a batter, and he missed the most barrels as a pitcher. Like, I'm sorry, go. I'm going to salute that. I, I have to acknowledge that that's kind of good. <laughs> no, that's not just some dude off the street. <laughs>a specific item that you always have to have with you in the booth, Dave Sims. It can be a good mm. luck charm good or a question. talisman or anything no, that has no, to I'm be. Not, I'm not into that. As long as I have my as long as I have my, I, my Bob, Bob Carpenter, Bob, you know, Carp with the Washington National, good man. Best score, best score book I've ever had. I, I got that every day. The iPad's powered up. The MacBook's powered up. And I got my, uh, I got my, my, my uh, case holding uh, my fluorescent highlighters. I went to Catholic school, so you know that sort of fits right in. You know, I got I got a highlight, and I, and it's amazing. Um, it's a system. Everybody has their own system, but you know, I, I color strikeouts green, walks blue, RBIs red, uh, pitching changes yellow, and I see it instantaneously, as opposed to just having it in pencil. And I also and I also use pen. I don't use uh, pencil when I skip. Um, and it just, I've been doing it for so long now. It's just like boom, 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 boom. And I can almost instantaneously, I was a fourth strikeout for Logan Gilbert, two down here in the third or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, 15 strikeout 
you know, for Shohei Otani, and on bottom of the bottom of the eighth, he's still, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, now that that's that that's gold. That's exactly what I what I wanted to know. So you go pen and then grab the highlighter and color it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's two implements. That's two implements. Games faster now, you know. Yeah, hey, I'll tell you what. You got your time to look down is significantly reduced, and you really have to, especially on radio TV, you can sort of get away with it. But radio, I'm sort of like paranoid. I'm like, uh, there's fastball up up and away, ball two, and I, I keep I keep each pitch. And then the other thing, when, when I look down, I want to come back up. I want to see if anybody moved in the field. I want to see how fast pitchers moving. Uh, a lot of these guys, I you know, this was never an issue until now. Like in basketball, you know, you can feel the shot clock and you just look up and you go, nine on the shot clock. I usually say something at 10. 10 on the shot clock, they got to get moving here. Play clock in football, down to three, two. Is he going to get the playoff? And now in baseball, I've said it a couple of times, more often than not, when I look up, guys are in compliance. More often than not. I've seen a couple of guys taking that to two and one before they get and I've seen a few guys get banged. But now, you know, I look, I look at, you know, counts two and two, and I look up and I'm looking at the pitcher, is he ready to go? And I and if and if it if I feel in my internal clock, then I'll look, I'll move my eye over left to right where the clock is and, and, and look for that. Hmm. So yeah, um, so it's a little bit of a a distraction or something you got to work in just like it is for us as we're yeah. in the early stages. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. Yeah. And the first, it was funny. The first, man, we got there, I got the Feb 21. I think the game first game was three days later was on with Rick Riz. And when I came on to do my innings and I, I, I made it a point to locate where the clock was in center field, the spring training, it was to the left of the batter's eye, which is pretty much standard down there and even up here. And I put my in, my pinky finger pointing at the clock so I could I could I knew where it was and I had my thumb on the batter. And here's a two-two from Matt Brash. So I, I I peripherally I see the clock is good. So now I focus in on the pitcher. Now I, I do that sort of instantaneously. But you do what you got to do to adapt and adjust to things. You sure. know? And, and that was the thing that's funny. People say, yeah, the pitch clock, you know, the players. I said, wait a minute, these are 800 of the best athletes in the world at this sport. They spent their whole life adapting to things. I mean, you think they're not going to be able to do this, especially when what eight thousand games were tested out in the minor leagues? Yeah, proved to be a sick. I mean, stop. So, um, what is one part of your game prep that you can't ignore? Like, I have to do this before every single game, or I'm not yeah. going to feel ready. Yeah, I, you know, there's a couple of things. Well, I try to catch as much of quick pitch uh, before I go to bed or when I get up. And, and when I don't get there, I make sure I get on I get on my uh, the iPad and go to the, you know MLB.com yep. uh, and bat and, and look at the scoreboard and see if anything jumps out. I don't always read box scores. And then, you know, I want to have one or two lines on every regular for the opposing team. And I didn't do that for the longest time. So this is my 17th year. I probably started doing that 10 years ago. So, you know, and and before I just go in and write down their lineup and, and read whatever was in the notes. But now I go back, I said, let me, let me get a reference and look this dude up and see what maybe he's done a couple of things would be a good line, you know? But, yeah, you know, so let, let, let me let me stop you there. That that's interesting. So so you got game notes that the team provides, right. but but you want to come up with your own lines. So do some reading, see what you like, and then are you using uh, a, a Microsoft OneNote or do you or what do you where do you write this stuff down? I, I write, I got a 
I got a, I have one of those eight by 11, you know, black and red uh, notebooks, spiral notebooks. Yeah. I'm old school. Come on. I, you know, I'm child of the fifties. You know, I, I, I use my computer because I always say if that battery goes dead in the middle of the game. What am I going to do? I sorry, uh-huh. I don't have any information here. And uh, you know, <laughs> that ain't going to work. I write it down. And then, like I said, I went to Catholic school, used to writing stuff down, a better way to remember. Yeah. A partner ever hit you with a ruler just in case uh, you're not paying attention? The stories I could tell you. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I have all that. So I just, you know, vertically, uh, you know, on a page, I'll just have, you know, Joe Smith, you know, uh, Gold Glove, Silver Slugger, MVP, you know, he's from so-and-so, ba 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 So I have a little something there to talk about. I don't, and now you don't have time. And like, if you have a really, uh, uh, you know, a good story, an anecdote, you really have to squeeze it down. Mm. Because, you know, no longer you don't have guys piddling around on the mound or messing around in the, in the batter's box. Yeah, so back when he was in third, you know, Mr. S- Mr. Scully would adapt. Don't get me wrong. I, I, he's a patron saint. Come on out. He, uh, I saw somebody and there was a discussion. Could Vin, could Vin uh, deal in the current situation? And, and the absurdity of that question is off the chart. Because back in the 50s, the games were going two and a half Max, for the most part, anyway, that's what they're after. But oh, that that's fascinating. Yeah. So could Vin work with a pitch clock? Is ridiculous because I mean, come on. What's the game time on the Kofax Perfect Game when he's giving us the clock every single at bat? Yeah, the absurdity. You know, I wanted I wanted to cuss this guy out that he would even propose that that would be a possibility. Wouldn't <laughs> be stupid. Oh my god, that's dope. But uh, so, but anyway, to have a little information, I think as a listener, I know as a listener. Yeah, I know our guys, and I know my team, but I'd like to, you know, there's there's interesting stories in the other dugout, which I certainly learned when we were having losing seasons. Because boy, I, I made sure I I got there. I try to get to the other team's clubhouse. If I just do a blow by, or if I you know catch up with somebody, or introduce myself to somebody, and I'll be honest with you, and, and given that I'm you know maybe in the history of Major League Baseball, something like the fifth black play-by-play guy for TV uh, for for a baseball team. I'm not gonna lie to you. I search out any African American player. You know, I, I like everybody, but I make a point because there's so few Black Americans in a game. It might be sixty to seventy guys. Hmm. Oh man, just want to say hello. There's somebody who looks like me. How are you? I, oh. how's, how's your journey? What? Talk to me. How you doing? So I do a lot, and nobody else. I, you know, certainly none of my white peers are gonna be doing that, and I damn sure better be doing it. See, that's that's beautiful um, because it matters to see representation. We know oh. that we, we hear it all the time in terms of art and movies and, and, yes. things, and things like that. Seeing that representation. And it's funny because, you know, like the stuff that I grew up with is play by play guys. For me, it, like I, I grew up a Red Sox fan. So on the radio, I was hearing I'm Ken Coleman and I'm Joe Castiglione. Like, yeah, Joe right C. Yeah. Oh, man, Joe um, C. What a good, what a great guy. Or, or I'd hear Harry Callis on 1210 WCIU and I could feel That's like I'm down to Dave Sims with a special guest. Dave, <laughs> I lost it. He threw it to me one time. I said, Harry, Harry Callis. Oh my God. You worked <laughs> with Harry Callis. Come on now, Sims. You worked with everybody. And then, but then the TV one that I knew first was, huh, had a hell of a time getting to the park today, White, was Phil Rizzuto bitching about traffic to Bill White, the scooter and Bill White. So Bill White being a black play-by-play guy, I did, I, I was five, six years old. I didn't think anything of it. That was just the play-by-play guy. But to you, it meant the world, didn't it? Hey, man, you have no idea. When I first saw – well, first of all, I saw he, he was card, a Giants-Cardinals-Phillies, finished his career in Philly. 
he got hired by ABC Philly and they made him sports. I don't know if they sports director, but I think he eventually became one. And a matter of fact, they even throw him on a hockey game. Um, but then I, I later find out, I hear him on radio and then I see him on TV doing, doing baseball. I was like, this is unbelievable. This is really, this can happen. We can do this. We can speak English, talk baseball on a nightly basis. Matter of fact, when he was uh, National League president, he tried to, he, he did his darndest to try to get me a gig. Um, God, that's a long time ago. Um, wow, that's awesome. That's yeah, but that, that meant a lot to me. And, you know, guys like uh, Bill White, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was the first African-American, first American black guy to do full-time TV radio play-by-play. Because -play. Yankees, as you probably remember, you're old enough to remember, they remember used to switch all the time, too. Remember sure, that? sure. Bobby Mercer was in there. There was a whole bunch and of And even before that, yeah, yeah, even before Bobby, yeah. And so when you look at the history of the game, you know, you got Bill White, Kenny Singleton did both. He did color play-by-play. -play. Greg Gumbel did a couple of years with the Yankees when MSG got the got the uh, contract. I want to say 89-90, he did Yankees. Mm -hmm. Paul Olden did uh, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, and the Yankees. We got Robert Ford now, didn't he? Robert do, right? Ford, 40's doing, you know, Forty's doing, um, you know, the Astros on radio. He's their lead guy. And I'm the only full-time guy, uh, you know, doing mainly TV and baseball right now. Wow. Because Kenny retired after he retired. He didn't, so where are we, 23? He retired after the 21 season. You know, I, 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 it's funny. Now I'm raising my son in here, downtown Chicago. And I'm like, um, I love that he goes to public school and I love that he lives in the city. So he, he sees a mix of faces and just lives with it and is around it. And it's just normal. And, and I, I haven't realized until, you know, fairly, fairly recently, just how lucky I was to even see like as a baseball guy, see Bill White or as a talk show host, Man, the first phone call I ever made to a talk show host was Art Rust Jr. Arthur George <laughs> Rust Jr. I was, I, I, Dave, I was 12 years old. It's 1982. I called up and I, I said, um, Dwight Evans should win American League MVP. Maybe it was 83. I said, Evans should win American League MVP at 295. He had 32 homers, 100 RBIs. He's got a rocket arm in right field. And Art said, uh, thank you for the call, young man. I think it's going to be Willie Hernandez, but thank you so much. And uh, he hung up. Next, next caller said, hey, that was a nice kid. And thus is born a life of me wanting people to say that was a nice kid on the radio. Nice. You know what I mean? I, I knew I, I was so thrilled the first couple of times I went on with art. Uh, I was still at the daily news. He was thrilled to see me because I was a black guy that working at the New York daily news, I bet. You know, like, you know, largest circulation newspaper in the country at the time. And, uh, it was really funny that I would go on there. Matter of fact, he, before he went to ABC, he was at MCA. I WM at 570 on a dial in New York. Hmm. And I remember going on then. And then I, he would have me at three, four times a year. And then come 1986, I'm competing against him. <laughs> <laughs> right up the street at WNBC. Tell me a moment you loved in the booth that we should go pull and listen to. First thing that comes to your mind that you really enjoyed. And I'm going to, I can filibuster here because we already talked about Cal Raleigh and we talked yeah. about Hannah. I mean, those two, I tell you, the other one, those two are primo. And and for the longest time, the Felix Hernandez uh, perfect game of uh, what was that? August 15, 2012 against Tampa Bay won nothing. Seattle Mariners, Felix Hernandez, the 2-2. Two -two. He got him! 34 years, 119 games. It's finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez. 
you did two that year. You did Philip Umber. You're the only guy. Yeah, that was on a regional. That game was only broadcast in Seattle and Chicago. Then they went full national for like the last two outs. Yeah, I would say to Felix, that perfect game. I mean, that was, man, I took, (laughs) Mike Claiborne's a dear friend. He does Cardinals wraparound in uh, St. Louis. And I remember he called me. I was at a at a Japanese restaurant after the game with my wife. It was a sunny, it was a gorgeous afternoon in August. And he said, he called up, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to come down after calling that perfect. Don't you ever come down from calling that perfect game. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That was, uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I know one day we did a promotion for, for, uh, oh, uh, uh, Jason Vargas was a left-hander with us. And we had a Viva Las Vargas and a day, and we had those Elvis style glasses on. And I there was a picture, I think it's probably on my social media somewhere. I had to have those on and I had some I had a laugh with them. And I happen to like Elvis, uh, Elvis music. Um oh that brings me that that's good. That brings me to Sinatra. Oh because, yeah. Because you gotta be a Sinatra guy, because I heard you, hey now has become a thing for you. I'm telling you, hey. But that's not just Hank Kingsley on the Larry Sand- Sanders show. Thank you. Thank you. I got right? the world on a string. I got the world on a string. Hey, now, I'm in love. 1932. Uh, of course, I'm blanking on it. It was one of the all-time. Sammy, uh, one, I don't know if it was Sammy Kahn, but it was some one of the great writers, 1932, recorded a bunch of times. And I heard it. Yeah, I, you know, I pop on Sinatra, particularly on like on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sid Martin just passed away. Sundays with Sinatra, Fridays with Frank, Saturday with Sinatra. So I, you know, I grew up with that stuff and all elephants, still the American, you know, contemporary jazz classics and whatnot. You bet. It's- and um, I, I think I said it one time. I said, "Boy, I like that." So I just kept, you know, just sort of like we're just spicing in here and there. And, and it's worked now, particularly the two calls with the Hedegar and the Cal call. And, and if something really big, you know, like I think Kelnick at home Monday day, and I'm going to Kelnick goes deep. Oh, So, matter of fact, do I have? It's a Hey Now t-shirt that Dave yeah. Sears is showing us, everybody. Yeah. yeah, you know what happened? Some guys in Simply Seattle, I get this text, I guess after it was after the Cal clincher. And I'm up in Toronto. He says, dude, we've designed this T-shirt. Would you, would you like to collab with us? You know, we'll split the profits. Said, Hell yeah. So I, uh, I, I looked. The design was on point. I just changed like one minute thing. And they, they moved some product during the playoffs. It was great. I, See, gave them- I, 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 think, I, I think it's awesome because like those, those catchphrases, which, which just happened, just, you know, it, it, it's all become part of the lexicon for us as baseball fans. Like, what do you, are you never supposed to say how about that? Just because Mel Allen did it? You know what I mean? Like, it's just part you know, of the ether, right? Right. I try, I do my darndest, you know, when you watch quick pitch, and I think we all watch quick pitch and we all wind up repeating each other's stuff every now and then. And sure. Slip out, you know? And I really, I'm going, to him, what are you doing? But so that's I, why I like the hey now because nobody else is doing it. And people say, "Well, you got Howard Stern." I said, "I like Howard. I don't listen to Howard, but I, I get it." But it's a totally different context. And believe me, now if if I were back in the corner in Philadelphia with my boys, I'd be saying something that you know <laughs> would lose every FCC license for name. <laughs> so my hey now encompasses all of that stuff. 
Yeah. Can you effing believe that? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, that's come on. You got to have something. I, and, yeah, yeah, you do. And I didn't. And it, and it just happened. It wasn't like I got to check. It's like when I did Boomstick Baby for Nelson Cruz, his nickname when he was with Texas was the Boomstick. And they created this big old hot dog, a $30 hot dog for him. So he comes to us and he hits a couple of bombs. And I'm thinking, I remember back to Bob Slick Leonard, who was doing when Reggie Miller was killing it for the for the Pacers and Mark, uh, what, what's his, what's the, the radio guy? Mark, yeah, I, I was going to say Mark Jackson, but that's the point. Guy. No, 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 no. But yeah. Mark, I think it was the play-by-play guy. Went, Reggie in the corner, and it's good. And you hear you hear you'd hear Slick Leonard go, "Boom, baby!" And that's how. And I said, "Let me put that together." So I asked my sons. I said. I, if Nelson Cruz hits a home run, can I, we think boomstick baby? Yeah, I like him. So I went to Nelly. I said, you know, if you had a home run, I was thinking about using this. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just murdered one in, in Oakland one time. You know, there we go. High drive center field. Burns giving ground. Looking up. Wow. Boomstick baby in the middle deck. Way out of here. A two-run homer by Nelson Cruz. And the Mariners take over with a 4-2 lead. And Blowers looks at me and says, that's pretty good. <laughs> so about a month later, you know, Nelly's going nuts. He's hit about six, seven home runs in a month. I walk in a class, come here, come here, come here. He brings his phone out. And somebody's done a mashup of all six home runs. Stick baby, boom, stick baby, boom, stick baby. He's just loving it. So I, and, I, and I was so pissed when they, they didn't resign him. Oh, God. And, and on top of being a hell of a player, he's one of the all-time good guys. Uh, that, that's awesome. Mark Boyle is the patient. Mark Boyle, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah want to ask for a great piece of advice that you got. Um, and if it's a couple that that's fine um, for yeah. mechanically doing the gig. I mean, you've already shared some of the Marty, Gl- Marty Glickman and Marty Brenneman. So, yeah, you know what? Breathe, <laughs> you know, I, I don't hyper, you know, breathe, relax. It's you're having fun. I always say almost every time I see, especially since I'm getting older now and all, all of us, all of the guys, my contemporaries, you know, I've joined this group. A lot of these guys in my age group and I've joined them late, but you know, anyway, but beats, beats working for a living. Yeah. And the other thing too, um, great line from Bill Parcells years ago. And I think he was, there was a beef he was having in, in uh, with one of the teams, I don't know if it was the Jets or the Patriots. And it was about, he wanted to be involved with personnel decisions. And he said, you got to at least let me shop for the groceries. And I love that line. I love the sentiment. I love what it means. And I, and for, for what I do to be on the air, you just can't, especially on TV, it's TV. Yeah, we can see it. So don't just restate the obvious shop for groceries, meaning go into the clubhouse. Hey man, what do you got for me today? What do you got? Hey, Hey Phil, what's going on? What happened last night? Hey, you know, and it's unbelievable. You, the stuff you literally run into, and you don't have to be Woodward and Bernstein, two of my hero, heroes who I have the utmost respect for. And I'm not in a position where I'm trying to nuke anybody. I'm not trying to you know, unveil, hey, look at the scandal here. You know, how's the guy feeling? What happened? Why did this work? Why is it not working? How are you dealing with it? Uh, same with coaches. So now when you see a guy, oh, he made a big improvement on that. He was working, I saw him in, uh, in uh, batting practice, working on going the other way, or he was out early, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon when I got here, yada, 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 that kind of stuff. So, you know, you want to fill up a notebook, fill up the notebook in your head. And, and, and so you have, uh, 
stuff that will complement what you're talking about. That's beautiful. Um, Dave Sims, a legend. Thanks so much for the time, man. I know how valuable this is going to be for listeners. It was valuable for me personally. So appreciate it. Hey, Matt, appreciate it. You're very kind. Thank you very much. And uh, hey, good to see you again. What an amazing career for Dave Sims. And like every facet of the sports media business, now he's happy as a clam doing one team all season long. And that story about how he got the temple job. A lot of people have someone who stepped in as a kingmaker of sorts, a power broker who becomes an advocate. That story is not aged particularly well, but, you know, so it goes. Um, look, Dave Sims was always kind on the way up, clearly, and colleagues cheered him on, helped him along the way and reveled in his success. He pays that forward with young broadcasters, and it's not some strategic choice to do so. It's it's just his nature. And I've been thinking about how kindness permeates this business, because you look at all these veteran big deal play by play people who took the time to give advice to me or listen to a tape for friends, the stories I've heard about or just spend a few minutes at the ballpark. So many of them seem to actually listen and pay attention to people they haven't met, people who aren't powerful or could help them in some way. It feels to me more common to see kindness in this field of play-by-play than in other creative and communication realms that I've inhabited. I don't know for sure if that's true, but that's certainly how it feels. And the ballpark lends itself to kindness, doesn't it? People are happy there. It's a hopeful place, a beautiful place, usually, and every single person knows they're lucky to be there. So I told you how Dave pays it forward. He's active supporting the Black Play-By-Play Broadcaster Grant and Scholarship Fund of the 200-plus television and radio play-by-play jobs in Major League and Minor League Baseball. Fewer than five are currently filled by black broadcasters. So they hand out a grant every year to a black broadcaster who takes a seasonal job in minor league ball to supplement low pay and a lack of health insurance. It's pretty damn cool. And I'll support Mr. Sims by telling you to support that. And I'll make a donation myself. You can go to blackpxpfund.com. That's blackpxpfund.com. All right, next week, one of the men Dave Sims mentioned as an influence and a guiding light, the legendary Marty Brenneman. He did Cincinnati Reds games for 45 seasons. He is 80. He is sharp as a tack and a complete treat to talk to. Wait until you hear what he used to use while keeping score. It's like one of the favorite things I've learned in the whole process so far. My producer is the great Ryan Porth, whose passion is appreciated. My collaborator is James Vickery, whose passion is appreciated. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus, whose passion, once again, is appreciated. Find the PBP Voices of Baseball on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. This is from 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball. The PBP Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game.